0: This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.
1: In the fashion industry, few things are more impactful than when the global fashion community comes together to exchange ideas and opinions on the most important topics facing fashion today. And that's exactly what happened on June 14th when Alvanon and Corsight presented the Trailblazers Conference in an annual gathering that does exactly this. The title, Inclusive Design and the Modern Consumer. Mouth Media Network, which produces Fashion Is Your Business, had an opportunity to partner in the event and we bring you some of the most important conversations that happened there. In this episode of Fashion Is Your Business, an incredible expert panel, on celebrating a new vision of beauty and fashion.
0: You're listening to Fashion is Your Business, powered by Sennheiser and recorded
2: on location. Julie Vargas is with the director of digital solutions with Avery Dennison, um, digital solutions and brand production. So Julie works with Avery's partners, retailers and brands around the world on on-product digitalization solutions, which I think is quite different. So I'll turn it over to you. Thank you. Hi, everyone. We're missing a couple of people. I see Camilla's here. Yay! And there's Grace. Great. So while they're coming up, first and foremost, um, yes, Julie Vargas, Avery Dennison. I'm honored to be here. I want to thank Janice and Deborah Alvinon and uh, Corsight Research. This is a great day, great topics, and I'm really um, excited but mostly honored to be sitting on the stage with these three incredibly wonderful women. So let me start um, by introducing by name, and then I'd love for them to actually show you the incredible collaboration that they have. Um, So we'll start with Grace June. So Grace June is the executive director of Open Style Lab, and we're going to learn more about that. Um, And then we have Sean uh, Horn as well, who's the founder and executive director of Give Beauty Wings. And then at the end is Camilla Chiriboga, who is creative strategy and inclusive design at the Innovation Lab for Global Brands. Um, So who who would like to start, walk us through um, the collaboration of the three of you and how you know each other?
1: Well, maybe Grace should start since she's the, I mean... Everything of Open Style Lab and kinds of okay. threads us all together. Great, we'll start with Grace. Do you have a? Oh, here's mine. Great.
0: Uh, First, thank you for having me here. My name is Grace Jung. I'm an assistant professor at Parsons, so I could tell already from the crowd we have a lot of Parsons faculty and alumni and students, so Parsons proud. Um, They've been a wonderful partner with our nonprofit organization called Open Style Lab. So Open Style Lab started at MIT in 2014 as a public service project, and we're now partnering with Parsons to look at inclusive education and different ways to do workshops and engage people with disabilities and elderly. So through that collaboration, I had the privilege of meeting Camilla and Sean. We we met through faculty and friends of
1: friends, and then we had a well, class and coffee. I can clarify this of how we met. <laughs> so I um I spoke at an accessibility meetup uh, maybe a year and a half or two years before I met Grace um, and just fell in love with everyone there. People from Google and just developers and big nerds with a lot of great ideas, and so I loved of going back and it's a monthly thing and they had this fabulous Open Style Lab thing coming up and I had presented a Google Hangout or something with Open Style Lab and they had been creating these incredible raincoats for people in wheelchairs and so when Grace got there and we got to the Q&A section I said hey Grace it was raining at the time I said I can't carry an umbrella
3: can you make me a raincoat and she's like let's talk
1: so
2: the rest is history
3: So yeah, so after being in the hospital for some days and not being able to put on my own clothing, having, like, needing my dad to pull up my pants, it's when I realized that fashion had to be more inclusive for people with different mobility challenges, with different dexterity, and in terms of creating fashion that actually makes you feel good no matter your condition, no matter your abilities. And that's when I found Open Style Lab, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is a dream. And they came to Parsons that year, so I was part of the first team, and that's when I met Sean. And designing for designing for special needs is completely different than what traditional fashion was. So as a designer, I feel like it's working with the user, and it was much more challenging. I remember I even had my dad at 5 a.m. helping me do the patterns because they're completely different than traditional patterns. But just um, so that's where I come in to play. <laughs>
2: Wonderful. Well, tell us more about Open Style Lab.
0: Yeah, um, I'll first begin with the class. I mean, Parsons has been really great to us in that we could have an interdisciplinary collaboration. So the class allowed students from sculpture, fine arts, design and technology, and of course, fashion to collaborate, and so I brought in friends who have disabilities, because I think you can't have ideas in a bubble, right, but you can't also go out to um, corporate companies right away before a semester starts and ask uh, for real-life advice, but where is that middle, and I feel in education, we're kind of lacking a lot of those support systems, and in many ways, I think, uh, in Parsons, I've seen that happen, so the class has really brought in, I think, a way for us to collaborate. I've People who have um, OT to PT experience. Currently, we're running our 10-week summer program in partnership with Parsons, um, the Cerebral Palsy Research Foundation, to Ultimaker, which is a 3D printing company, uh, as well as Walmart and Tech to support us in kind. Uh, a lot of the, the resources that we think we could collaborate together. So, Camilla, I, uh, in the class, we work with Parsons students, but this experience has been benched off of a model that's been repeated every summer. So we invite designers and engineers and therapists with one person with a disability to always make a garment and we give it to them and part of that research we've documented stories. So these stories are what we tell corporate companies like there really is a need out there where we're doing some R&D testing um, and how do you how
2: do we talk to each other a bit more closely. It's fantastic. No, thanks, Grace. It's, a, it's it's really interesting to see it evolve. And tell us more, Sean, how did this play into what you're doing with Give Beauty Wings?
1: So when I started my program at NYU, um, I was really thinking about the inner work of beauty primarily. Um, and it was a six-week program. And at the end, I did have the girls. They're 14 to 21 year old years old, um, celebrate you know their discovery process by dressing themselves. And so many of these girls said, I've never done this before. And came to class, you know, even one girl came in her swimsuit because she loves to swim. Um, but to see what uh, a sense of freedom came over them and and a celebratory, you know, to be able to reflect what's going on inside outwardly is so important and and really with fashion, I think of it as identity making. And it's something that we're used to within certain conditions. And so what I, I, I that was the first moment I realized I wanted to do something around fashion and disability because clearly, you know, I had a room full of light bulbs um, who had never really felt that agency in this area. And so when this collaboration came about, it sort of you know catalyzed all these other things. So I was able to also, after working with Open Style Lab, and I still consult with them, um, but even after that, doing the Design for Disability Challenge with the CP Foundation, which has worked with Derek Lamb and um, with um, Anna Sui most recently. I promised Michael I would do some name dropping, so there it is. Nice, nice. <laughs> but but no, and I think we're at this incredible time with Tommy Hilfiger, Target, all these major uh, corporate brands are recognizing the need, and I think it is. I, I thank the culture also. It, it, we have created a culture that is hungry for this. And I think the next step really for me would be to see it just grow in terms of variety so that my girls, whether their favorite color is purple or whether they, you know what I mean, whatever it is, that they're able to express who they are more fully. And so it seems like a very natural thing in the advocacy that I do that fashion has to be a huge part of it
2: fantastic absolutely moving towards that uh, inclusive part and I think and we talked a bit um, prior to today around how, how it's different right to go from inspirational design um, into functional design and how do you uh, how do you handle that as a, de- as a designer and what advice would you give to the big brands that are looking to do this better and more often
3: So I think from, you use color purple because it's your favorite color. It is my favorite (laughs) color. But I think like that's the difference. Like instead of creating something for an imaginary persona, or sometimes you don't even have a persona in design school, it's like whatever your your mood board is, and then you're based on inspiration. Whoever's using it, I don't know who's using it, but I just like love these garments and I'll put them out there. But this is completely different because you're asking someone, what's their favorite color? What do you, what do, you do on your daily basis? What is your work setting like? And for example, with Sean, like observing, how do you put your garments on? How do you take it off? Um, what do you want? For example, we put two wings in the back of her coat because it's for her foundation of Give Beauty Wings. But it's (laughs) actually creating garments with the person that's wearing it. And something important was also that usually in a fashion class you're just with other fashion designers but I learned the most from the occupational therapists, from the doctors Mm. from the even with a hospital gown like Chad was saying before from the from the infection disease control like we we learned so many things about fabric and materials so it's like that cross collaboration is essential.
1: Yeah and and I, Jenny mentioned also about moisture wicking, and that was a huge part of my, my coat experience because I'm putting a lot of work into walking. I, you know, I'm half my father, so I do sweat, right? So having that, and then specifically when you mention, you know, paying attention to how I put my coat on, something that I wasn't even aware of that I do is when I sit down, because I do tend to put my coat on sitting down, seated, and I would get my the back of my coat caught on the chair and I was so used to that I didn't notice it but these wonderful designers did and so they created a higher coattail for me so that wouldn't happen anymore so it's that attention to detail that I think everybody wishes that they could have a couture garment in their lives and so for me to have this experience I mean it's a girl's dream let me just tell you
2: (laughs) fantastic well good and and we also talked a little bit about footwear you told me to ask you about foot So what are some of the other opportunities um, in this space that you see are still open for inclusive design?
1: Yeah, well, um, you know, Nike has done the wonderful Fly-E sneakers, um, but the truth is, as a speaker, I can't, I mean, I would love to wear sneakers to my speaking engagements, but I think it might look a little funny with this this jumpsuit anyway. But, so, so I had a five years straight where I found this Mary Jane with a really durable sole, that I would wrote, they had about seven different colors. It was a Merrill brand. I'm giving them a little plug. It doesn't, they actually don't make them anymore, but they're on eBay, on Cycle. And so I was this chronic eBayer looking for Merrill Plaza Bando. That was my, you know, because I knew, first of all, that the soles could handle, I'm, I'm pretty rough on my stuff, so could handle me. I drag my left foot. And so it means that most shoes I go through in about a month and a half. If I'm lucky, um, I remember during one of the snowstorms, I had a brand new pair of boots. Two weeks later, when I the NPR lady came and I showed her the boots, she couldn't believe that these are only two weeks old. So. You know, I think one opportunity that I haven't seen yet as much, other than Nike, is to have, you know, if you do footwear, please consider those that are a little rougher on their shoes. And, um, you know, there's certain things also that I can't wear, like um, flip-flops or um, I'm wearing heels now, but I can only wear them if they're chunky. So, you know, when you design your next stiletto, just know that not everybody can wear them, right. you know. it's
2: a great point. And
1: it brings me to another
2: interesting um, topic that I know we, we touched on a bit, I'll ask you, Grace, around the crossover from other industries. So we've talked a bit about the role um, of, of healthcare professionals, but what are some of the other industries or technology layers that are coming in to really drive functional design uh, forward? Uh, um, I just I'll say it in four
0: segments one personally I come from a design background but I spent five years in UX design with engineers so the way I'm pretty sure everyone in this room has a cell phone and so the way I see how adaptability of cell phone is is very similar to how we look at the future of clothing if it includes technology Um, no matter how fancy machine learning AI gets there's always that curve of getting to know who your customer is and if they're actually going to use it one perfect example is if you remember blackberries, the keyboards, um, the QWERTY key that everyone used to flip open, that method that had translated into like the iPhone and the smartphones that we have today, it can't switch the letters or the numbers because people have memorized it, like muscle memory, over the years of where to type. So when we tried to change it one time when I was working in the tech field, it was counterintuitive, and it wasn't adaptable, and it wasn't accessible. The same thing with clothes. If you're using performance fabric, um, we've been really lucky to have some of the donated fabrics that are left over either from performance um, manufacturers that give fabrics to either Nike or to Under Armour. So we've looked at durability, abrasion resistiveness, um, water repellency, as well as conductivity. And my field and looking into how to um, pastiche everything together (laughs) has been mostly my job um, to see what fabrics are really appropriate and how does uh, someone even Sean find something that's durable that could work for even an athlete. Um, this summer, like we've been supported in kind by an award from the Knicks and Squarespace award for $30,000, and they've mentioned about how proud they were to see and think about maybe athletes uh, with disabilities can be included in this process when they saw some of our work. Um, but we really have, I think, a great sense for technology when we look at corporate partners. So Lee and Fung, they're doing some amazing things in digitalization. We have great mentors like Maura Hurton and kind of looking into clothing closures, so They're really leading for us, I think, the way we could talk about innovation and design. Um, But most importantly, like this summer also, I'm teaching the students at Parsons how to do digital pattern making, because I really think that's an important skill to understand basics of fashion, but know that there are other ways to make things accessible, or to – it's like Photoshop, uh, to have it more – I think flexible for you to express what kind of designs and things you need, and so I'll turn that over to probably Camilla on how she used technology and thought about it. Um, but yeah.
3: Okay, so I think one of the one of the most important things that I've seen a departure from, how well I'm not very new in the I'm very new in the industry, sorry, but um, departure of what how I was taught is that there's much more focus on the research and development of products. So instead of having, for example, I was just talking to a brand, they were like, okay, we need a solution in three weeks. I'm like, no way, this kind of design, it takes tons of user testing, it takes tons of technology resources, all have to contact professionals everywhere. It's not just talking to fashion designers. And so that's what I think, like, the focus is changing, and that's where technology comes into play. Like, you need to use the latest technology to be able to make things faster, because it's a lot of collaboration between different kinds of people.
0: Yeah, it could definitely like digitalization tools can cut the time for production and cost. It also helps the designer convey their message in a way that they don't have to mock up a muslin for you every other week, so you're not wasting fabric. So there's definitely, I think, lots of ways that technology can be a tool. But if there's one takeaway, um, we use a very user-centric, holistic process. I mean, it's, it's people first. So all of our collaborations, I don't name the products or the jacket or the sock that we made it's like team Sean and then everyone knows what came out from it because it's really Sean's story and so for the past years we've had a collection of over a hundred different design iterations and we've been waiting I think to partner with the right group of people and hopefully uh, large and small companies alike could take it to expand
2: and really grow. Fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. And Sean, so back to you so what's what's next um, in your mind? I mean How all of this, the technology, the cross-collaboration, where do you see this heading in the next five, 10 years?
1: Well, I just see more variety popping up that, you know, that I think it's wonderful where it's going and the fact that it's it's been legitimized already, I feel. But I think now, just as with any form of fashion, to see, you know, different designers, even, you know, the, maybe the traditional runway designers designing for adaptive or, you know what I mean? I'd just like to see more of, you know, I think we've created, I mean, with Mindy Shire's, you know, wonderful collaboration with Tommy, she's... Started a revolution that now I think just has to grow and catch fire and that's where you guys come in Um, because you know I think just like anything else when you're creating for different types of people we need the variety we're not all going to be wearing stripes we're not all going to love the color purple like me even though I don't know why but anyway (laughs) the point is that we need to start I think just um, expanding on this you know just because someone else has done it in their way doesn't mean you you can't add something more to it. I'd like to see more technology, but more and more what I would like to see as, you know, someone that runs these programs is to see my students being able to fully express who they are with these brands that are making clothes that fit them and fit their personalities and let them shine brighter. So I, that's the reason, and that would be the call to why we need more. Um, is really that you're ac- you can actually change a life and how somebody sees themselves. Because we were talking earlier, you know, if my student goes into um, you know, a job interview but doesn't have the right apparel to feel like she's looking professional, that affects how well the interview goes. You know, it does, so if you have something that, you know, these are tools for empowerment um, and it can be on a much bigger scale than it is right now, so I'm looking forward to seeing that happen. And, and if anyone wants to talk about how we can do more, please, we need, we need to talk.
2: Very well said. That's the the background to all of it, right? To be inclusive, inspire, and empower.
3: This might be a little bit controversial, but just in the same way that sustainability efforts connect and help each other to expand because we all have to save this world. It's gonna it's gonna end some way. We all have to help on sustainability, for example. We're all on the same planet. And I think that's the same thing with creating design for special needs and disabilities because it's not that one designer created one way or a solution and then the other design creates a different way. We need everyone to we need all, everyone's solution and we need to collaborate in this instead of being like, oh, I'm the person that designs for wheelchairs or I'm the person that designs for, for the blind and visually impaired. It should actually be like everyone collaborating on the solutions because we're helping people at the end of the day.
2: Well said. Going back to the earlier panel, hopefully five years from now we're just calling it design and fashion right okay. I mean currently we're doing our
0: 10-week program in partnership with Riverside rehab we're working with their long-term um, patients who were I thought might not have a need for style or universal design but I remember just speaking for over four months interviewing all the patients there one lady was like I need to dress up in certain colors and silhouettes because my husband comes to visit me every Sunday so there's definitely a need for self-expression um, and I think there's ways for I think emerging creatives as well as those in therapy or design and engineering to better engage with that community. So our job is to really just make a nice fence and be like, okay, let's try to collaborate for 10 weeks. And at the end, show industries, show people, and invite people to tell them why this is such a need. Because many people don't know why still adaptive clothing is a need. Um, Unless you've either faced your injury, know someone with a disability, or um, experiencing aging, which we're all living longer, but maybe not as well.
1: (laughs) So I actually would love to add to that before I would love to hear from the audience too. But um, you know, from the previous panel, I was thinking about how can we mass market this very customized experience that I was able to have, and um, you know, and I think maybe it's sort of like having this shirt in five different colors. Is is it possible for someone to maybe you know scroll down and if they have a if they drink through a tube and need a, a button, they can select a button or if they need certain kinds of closures they can select those closures and kind of I mean if we can obviously bring the cost down as we talked about how can we bring that customization just like you have you know the petite option or whatever else into the everyday experience you know so that somebody who has a very specific thing um, you know can get it um, that to me is also another ideal um, I know you know, I already answered the question, but I also had to, I just had to add that.
2: Perfect. That's great. Yeah. So five years out, vision for Style for Lab. For
0: Open Style Lab. Wow. Well, first, I made a promise back when Obama was still in the White House, and I kind of lied to him, saying that, yes, this program is duplicable to every university but I just started with Parsons. (laughs) I hope other teachers, other faculty will iterate, or at least the students that graduate will be able to take this throughout different schools, but also in their workplace. Many times, I think if you're having companies that are looking at adaptive apparel or inclusive design, you can't find the right intern that understands or has a sensitivity of going through that experience. And what I hope is that that grows in five years. Um, Secondly, I think embracing that customization and mass production, is always going to be an issue um, and it's, it goes back to couture and ready wear. It goes back to smartphones versus flip phones and the majority of the world uses still flip phones um, so that's one food for thought. but for us, I really hope that we could continue doing this research and really help corporate companies um, best prepare for, I think, something that they're going to take to go, and hopefully they take to go with a community that is uh, less hurt and is more hurt today.
1: Yeah. And also, I think one thing that's really important to consider is the economics of it. You mentioned sustainability, and we know how expensive it is to have a sustainable garment. At this point in time, I'd love to see that go down, so that my students who are on social security can have sustainable garments that are also adaptive. Or, I mean, this is a big thing to say, but you know, um, then there's also you know friends of mine who are trust fund babies, and they can afford to customize for themselves at any cost. So, you know, just something for everyone here to think about as you design is that, you know. H&M was one of my go-to places, you know, when I was younger because I was on a budget, yeah. right? And so, h- how do we, and there's a lot to think about. Maybe this it's is a, another panel. And it's a, no, it's a great place. I mean, we
2: have a we have a, a lot there. So, I mean, I think it, it's it's right, right, to find that intersection of functionality, inclusivity, and and economics. So, thank you so much, um, each and every one of you. We appreciate your time.
0: This has been fashion is your business to suggest guests or content for the show or to become a sponsor. Email us at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Keep up with the show on social media at fashion biz show. That's fashion B I Z show episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher and Google play along with our website fashionisyourbusiness.com. produced by mouth media network. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. This is your announcer, Peter Coleman. Thanks for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.